Great episode of the podcast for you today. I am extremely proud to present Evan Gray Davis, a documentary filmmaker based out of Tucson, Arizona. I met Evan a number of years ago. I reached out to him via Twitter, uh, had some questions concerning crowdfunding and some of the work that he had that he had created. And he, uh, you know, he has been great to answer those questions. And uh, you know, I've known him for a few years now. So we talk a little bit about documentary filmmaking, some of his projects. He uh, completed a number of years ago a documentary called It's a Girl about gendercide in India and China. And uh, through that project, he began talking overseas in TED Talks. And he now is a creative director of TED Talks in Tucson. So Evans is an amazing guy. I think you're going to enjoy the conversation. We've started the show out with a, a tune from Ben Sturgill. You can find out more about his music at bensturgill.com want to thank the other sponsors as well for bringing this episode to you. Dr. Mark Holland of First Capital Chiropractic, ChironRehab.com, as well as MySt.LouisChiropractor.com. If you're in the St. Louis area and you need an adjustment or need your back looked at, need to, need to keep up on that spinal health, check in with Dr. Holland and uh, he can help you out with that. Also, Dale's Music in uh, the North St. Louis County area, Music Lessons, for yourself or your children, Dales does a great job with that, repairing guitars, other musical instruments, renting instruments. Dales is your one-stop shop for your musical endeavors. Find out more about Dales. You can find their number on the show description page, as well as find a TED Talk that Evan refers to in the uh, in the conversation concerning uh, one of the subjects of a documentary that he is in the process of putting together. Want to also thank Kevin Blumenkamp. If you uh, if you're in need of a customized piece of fine jewelry, he can create that for you as well as any any other type of metalworking. So you can find more about him and his his contact information on the show description page. As always, I'm Ken Calcaterra, your gracious host. You can find out more about me through my social media outlets or through my website kencalcaterra.com. Google me, look me up on Facebook, Twitter. Instagram, you know, all those social media outlets, and uh, you can find me there, Ken Calcaterra. Happy to chat with you about art, about business, creativity, yoga, whatever. You know, love talking about it, love bringing you these great guests, and really privileged to have had um, had an hour conversation with Evan. He's a filmmaker that's really passionate about the tools, or toys as he calls them. He's an avid mountain biker, just an activist, you know, wanting to do great things for the world. Here he is, Evan Gray Davis. Have you been on the trails mountain biking? Yes, I, I try to get out two or three times a week and mountain bike. Um, the trails here in southern Arizona are just beautiful. There's more and more of them. We were recently listed as one of the top 10 locations in the U.S. for mountain biking and cycling. So it's a very friendly community, and they're building more, more and more trails all the time. So I love it. It's amazing, and I, I've watched a few of your mountain biking videos, so it looks like that's that's been a little bit of a niche for you. Is that 
Is that something you're doing as a professional project or just uh, as a hobby for, for you and your, uh, your crew that you ride with? Yeah, the mountain biking side, I mainly just do for fun. Uh, I've done a couple of uh, commercial projects that were related to the mountain bike community. One was a brewery, uh, um, craft micro craft brewery here in town that opened up that uh, specializes in the mountain biking community. Their slogan is, we bike, we brew. And um, they go out to a lot of the big mountain biking events. And I did a couple projects for them that kind of combined the two. But generally, the mountain biking stuff is just, just for fun. Uh, well, Tucson surrounded by a number of different trails. The closest one to me is uh, less than 10 minutes away. And then from there, uh, I've got a number of other options within 15, 20 minutes, or you can drive an hour outside of town and find a lot more. So yeah, a lot of, a lot of options. Very cool. And so currently balancing freelance work with, uh, with personal projects, uh, what, what are the big projects you're working on these days? Uh, right now, uh, my goal is to keep one large feature documentary project of my own that I'm producing and distributing and own the rights to um, at, at any given time, you know, have one moving, which can take anywhere from a year to three years, five years to finish one film, and then balance that off with uh, the demands to do freelance work for other people in the documentary realm. I'm editing a documentary for one client. I'm shooting a documentary for another. So I think I, uh, two other documentaries I'm shooting for other clients. Uh, and then I fill in the gap since uh, documentaries tend to be kind of a slow-moving ship and there's you know time in between trips, time in between shoots, other than the post-production process, which can eat up months. There's uh, typically lots of time for just doing smaller freelance projects for local and national and international clients. So I may do, you know, 50% of my time on the, the, the feature documentary thing and 50% of my time on freelance work. Very cool. Are you traveling a lot these days? Not as much as I used to. Um, used to be almost all of my clients were overseas. And uh, anymore, I've, I've really slowed down on that. I kind of have a love-hate relationship with traveling. You know, I, I uh, you get out on the road for three or four weeks and it, it's – difficult and uh, challenging and frustrating at times, but yet you see amazing places and, and have amazing experiences. And I, I got burned out after what, 15, 17 years there of just doing a lot of traveling and most of my projects being, um, you know, overseas and uh, stepped back. It's a Girl was uh, my film, It's a Girl on Gender Side, that, I, that we filmed in India and China was the last film that really took me uh, out to a lot of significant traveling. I've had a couple trips since since then. Uh, one to Africa, scouting a potential uh, documentary project in, in which I I uh, lost all of my equipment and footage on the last day we were there. Um, spent three weeks filming in Tanzania and Uganda, and uh, and you know let my guard down. Uh, you know left the gear in the car, although it was within view uh, where we yeah. were sitting. Uh, the uh, thief uh, kind of uh, got around the other side of the vehicle where we couldn't see, broke in through the side, pulled everything out, lost uh, all my equipment, all my footage. That was my last international trip, and I came back a bit, you know, uh, discouraged <laughs> a little from jaded. that trip. <laughs> a little jaded. And uh, since then, I've mostly been focusing, my current uh, documentary is, is a local topic, just just to kind of keep local for a while. That's good. Yeah, it's always a nightmare traveling with gear, and I think the worst thing is 
go ahead and steal the gear. You can take that. I can replace that. But the footage yes. is irreplaceable. Yes. And I just didn't have the didn't have the will to go back and, and reshoot all of that. And it was a topic I was exploring and wasn't sure for sure that, you know, I was going to do a film on it. And, uh, yeah, it, it takes it takes a lot of uh, determination to go back and and go back down the same, you know, roads reshoot something that you that you just uh uh you know captured to go back again you've got to be really motivated and the and the topic just wasn't you know quite that motivating it's a sign from the uh from the filmmaking yeah, guys you uh you know cut your losses so three weeks there as opposed to three years of your yes. life with a topic that, that you weren't really feeling so yeah maybe that was a blessing it very in well may have <laughs> you have to try to look at it yep. positively a nightmare nonetheless, but, uh, you know, light at the end of the tunnel. So, so what is your new, what's the local feature that you're, you're putting together local to Arizona? Yeah. So I'm working on a, a feature doc about rainwater harvesting, um, recognizing water, uh, scarcity, water sustainability as one of the key environmental issues and, you know, sustainability issues going forward, um, really globally, uh, in Tucson, we have, uh, obviously, we're living in the desert and have limited rainfall. Uh, we get most of our water from the Colorado River Project and some groundwater, which is, you know, our groundwater is more and more scarce and is, is far from, you know, a sustainable source, as is the Colorado River Project. Uh, but there's some groups here in Tucson uh, that are doing uh, some really innovative work in uh, returning to some of the uh, indigenous uh, Native American techniques of runoff farming and rainwater harvesting and, uh, and applying those to an urban context and, uh, and you know, engineering innovative uh, new ways to, uh, to collect rainwater and utilize it. And, and, um, and basically, mile, you know, miles and miles of uh, concrete and asphalt designed to to uh, direct rainfall out into the riverbeds and out of the out of the community, you know, is, is wasting that natural resource. So they're working to slow those flows down, help them to soak in, recharge the aquifer, um, and and they uh, these groups uh, believe that uh, 100% of Tucson's water needs could be provided by rainwater. We have more, even with the scarce rainfall we have in the desert here we have more water fall on tucson each year than we use uh through you know the the public water sources so it's just an interesting kind of look at yes that's something i would have never thought of you know you think desert it's just uh i I think the stereotype is that you have no water it's so dry but wow that's that's an interesting uh, statistic yeah so the film is following uh one particular character this uh, guy named Brad Lancaster, who has built, you know, in his own home, he, he uh, lives on 100% rainwater. He um, grows food-bearing plants and trees in his yard via, you know, rainwater uh, irrigation. And uh, he has, uh, in his community, has planted literally thousands of, of trees and plants and bushes all along the roadways in, in uh, partnership with all of his neighbors, and they uh, they they innovated this curb cut um, 
approach where they they illegally uh, cut a V shaped in the curbs so that the water running down the streets would be diverted into basins along the roadways and would water the landscaping along the roadways and uh, then went to the city and uh, advocated to have that legalized and not only legalized, but now it's mandated in uh, a certain percentage of all new construction within the city, uh, the landscaping has to be watered by rainwater. And so they're, they're working, you know, legislation wise and, and with the laws as well as restrictions in many, in many cities, it's illegal to harvest rainwater, which seems ridiculous to me. And there's always the lobbies for the big, uh, you know, the water, uh, the big companies that provide water to these communities who obviously see their, their future bottom line threatened by uh, <laughs> people harvesting rainwater. Of so we're following this, uh, this guy, Brad Lancaster, and his journey. Um, he's very charismatic, very funny, energetic, ex- you know, very excited about rainwater and the type of guy that every time it rains, runs outside just to see how, how his, you know, uh, his uh, system's working as far as where the water's running and, just um, lives and breathes the topic, so it's he's uh, a great, uh, great subject. Yeah, how did you find Brad? Well, I'm I'm involved. I'm the creative director for TEDx Tucson. After having uh, had such an amazing experience speaking at TEDx events in India and in the U.S. on my topic of of it's a girl, uh, on my last documentary, I um, came back to Tucson and explored what we had here in the way of a TEDx franchise and got involved a couple of years ago and um, Brad uh, Brad was uh, one of the the speakers that we encouraged to speak at our conference and his talk was just so uh, so amazing I can give you a link to share if there's a way for you to share links like that along with your podcast oh definitely yeah see his talk because it gives you a little picture of it's like a mini mini version of the documentary I want to make um, so met him through TEDx Tucson and uh, just uh, fascinated by his passion and, and by the topic. And, and that's what uh, beginning, you know, any filmmakers starting out or people with experience or even viewers, uh, I mean, documentaries are, are popular right now with Netflix and, and a lot of other delivery platforms. But just, I guess a, a lot of people I don't think would realize that you you spend two or three years with a subject and two or three years uh you know, on a particular topic, and yeah, it has to be something you're passionate about. I mean, I've, I've kind of uh, hit hit walls at times and haven't picked things back up. But uh, that, that's pretty amazing that you have someone that you're just ultra passionate about and, and creating this story. What, what where are you at in the process? Uh, right fairly now? early on, we're creating a proof of concept piece. Uh, so we've done uh, done some filming, and uh, as as we've gone along, tweaked and. Uh, you know, kind of found that, okay, this approach isn't probably going to be as effective as that. Just the typical documentary journey. You think you're going down one road, and as you go along, you run into roadblocks and barriers and other roads that seem a little bit more attractive, and you try them out. Uh, yep. Yeah, so no doubt. it's kind of research, research and development um, and just, you know, just moving into the production, production phase where we're uh, shooting and, and producing a proof of concept that we can use to further raise funds, uh, you know, to, to, to create the film. 
And where do you, you just go for, you're looking for grants or is the city or like environmental type agencies do, would they grant something like this to see if yeah, there are done? grants available? I think, uh, depending on the topic of your film, the, 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 one of the first things you want to do is look for grants, look for natural strategic partners. Uh, and grants are, are really potential, especially when it comes to topics like this or, you know, envi- environmental issues, sustainability issues, there seems to be more and more money available to advance um, the, you know, ideas and technologies and, and uh, mobilize people to adopt uh, sustain, sustainable solutions for energy and um, natural resources and all that. So we, we, will, uh, we will apply for some grants. Um, my approach is to uh, identify strategic partners within the given er- a topical area of the film and uh and and find people with money that have a passion to have that story told and get their help in making the film so we funded the proof of concept uh through uh a a donor that heard about the you know heard about the project and said you know i'll pay i'll pay to have this uh this proof of concept put together and uh there's natural partnerships via some of the organizations uh, that we partner with. Again, within the topical area, the Watershed Management Group is a local, uh, a regional um, organization that advocates for rainwater harvesting and for, uh, you know, uh, creating landscapes that slow the water down and allow it to soak in and, um, recharged aquifer they are very well connected in with several other uh you know activists um uh clubs and associations who have donors as part of their memberships you know people with money who are passionate about the topic and you know as you as you reach out and uh begin working in that topical area and meeting these people and sharing your passion for telling the story. Um, my, uh, my approach has always been to uh, advance a cause through documentary storytelling. Those who are passionate about the cause um, are naturally excited about any tool that's going to advance the cause and educate more people, mobilize more people to adopt their particular passion. And oftentimes you, uh, you're able to, to get um, people uh, you know, to, to help fund it. On It's a Girl, we had a, uh, a, a businessman, a businessman here in the in the uh, southern Arizona area, who he and his wife had adopted two girls from China who had been abandoned as a result of the one-child policy and the son preference culture and all that. And uh, they were just really passionate about this topic, and they wrote a check for sixty thousand dollars. You know, that this is the kind of thing where when you can when you can connect with people that have the means. And who are, uh, you know, see the vision for how a documentary can move the needle to advance the cause that they care about. Uh, you know, oftentimes they're they're more than happy to write a check and, and help you know help make it happen. And this type of story, to visual stories, are just so impactful to to get that across. And with technology and things happening, uh, the subject I, I think, especially I, I feel your passion. So it's 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 going to be really interesting. I know just just to really see how. 
how this technology is working, how you're harvesting the rainwater, how it's sustaining life, things of that nature. So it's really cool. I mean, you, you're one to always take on these, these projects and tell these really amazing stories about people that are just really stoked about what they're doing. Um, yeah, I mean, I can't compliment you enough for, for the work. Well, thank you. you. Appreciate that. I, I really counted a privilege, you know, to be able to do what I love and, you know, play with, play with toys every day, you know, <laughs> cameras and mics and, you know, and meet <laughs> amazing people that are, are changing the world, you know, and, and help, help them get their story out there. Uh, just, it's, a, I counted a real honor to be able to do it. And, um, that's, it's, that's, that's the plan going forward just to keep, you know, keep finding these uh, topics and, uh, and then the, you know, the freelance work helps pay the bills as I go along. Um, corporate clients and nonprofits that I'm working with uh, to do short form documentary style stories that advance their cause or, you know, their product or service uh, that really helps to offset and help fund, fund the documentary work as well. Yeah. It's very yeah, it's always good to pay the bills. <laughs> now, now looking at, Yep. <laughs> Keep the lights on. Uh, looking at short form work, I mean, one thing that you're doing that is super cool, the Just Be You project, and I, I looked at a couple of those videos before you to catch up. I mean, I'm a little behind, but uh, uh, you know, watch the, uh, yeah. the Urban Camper story. Uh, just, just really, just an, an amazing story. Visually, just incredible. And I'll put the link on the uh, on the description page for this as well, so the audience can take a look. But when did you? Tell them a little bit more about how you started that yeah. project and and the essence behind it. You right. Know, what well, you know what? The Just Be You project came about uh, as a just a personal project with with no aspirations for distribution. No, I wanted to I wanted to just tell stories that had no driving force behind them that would manipulate or dictate how the story was told. Because most of my clientele uh, are are people with with a product, a service they want to sell, a cause they want to advance, and and every in that context, and even my documentary films, um, every story really has this underlying uh, uh, driving force to uh, to move the needle on some cause or or, or uh, you know get people to buy something, and that can be frustrating for someone like myself who really you know I see this as an art just to tell stories. Um, and the Just Be You project was kind of a, 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 a documentary short project where I could choose stories that had no, you know, no need for uh, distribution, um, nothing driving it other than just wanting to tell cool stories. And it partially came about because my daughter, who is now 17, almost 18, um, has kind of joined me in the filmmaking thing. She's extremely talented and a photographer and was getting more and more into doing uh, the, the the documentary work with me and helping me out with my freelance projects doing Photoshop work and all of that had asked, you know, if, if she, you know, what would it take for her to be able to travel with me instead of the crew uh, members that I often take when I travel overseas, she really wants to travel. I told her, well, you would have to be as good at, and, and as experienced as, as whoever you replaced and so we agreed to do a project together where she could learn. She could just get out and have opportunities to be uh, faced with, you know, challenges in capturing a particular story. We've got all this traffic noise over here we've got to deal with or, or unusual lighting situations or how do, you, how do you draw people out in interviews. 
And so I said, well, let's pick a topic and, and we'll do a you know, documentary short uh, series. And, and we, we chose the topic of Just Be You is basically about identity and destiny. It's about let's, let's tell stories. And it was partially inspired by her having seen the uh, Humans of New York. Uh, I'm sure most of your listeners has heard of Humans of New York, the photographic project where the uh, young man in New York goes out, takes photos of people and asks them a few questions about their life. And he pairs those striking photos of an individual with a quote from them. And it's just really compelling. She wanted to do something similar, but in video and film. And so we, we started going out downtown and grabbing those little vignettes, just asking people questions about themselves and just putting these really short vignettes together. And we met people that we were interested enough. Let's do uh, you know, a three to five minute or eight minute or 10 minute documentary short about them. And uh, we just continue to do it. Now I'm, I've gotten the, the independent film Arizona uh, is the Southern Arizona nonprofit association that advances filmmaking uh, thousands of members in Southern Arizona. I head up the uh, myself and Ann Dalton, another documentary filmmaker kind of heads up the documentary work group for independent film Arizona and many of these members of the documentary work group are wanting practical experience to learn documentary filmmaking. So I invited them to come on board in the last couple of episodes I've done in partnership with the independent film Arizona documentary work group where members can go out and get, get practice on camera. You know, I, I'd like to do, I'd like to do sound this time and just learn about how to do location sound. I'd like to edit. So anybody who wants to edit, uh, anybody who wants to help, mm-hmm. help edit gets all of the footage and we'll have potentially three or four people putting together completely different versions of the segment based on their, you know, subjective approach to how they see that story coming together. And then we watch those together and talk about what works and what doesn't. We combine them and, and end up creating, you know, a segment out of all of the best of it. So it's been a really fun, really fun thing. Oh, that's yeah. amazing. That sounds like a lot of fun yep. and, yeah, collaborative. Very cool. Very cool. Now, you're up to, what, 20 oh, no. episodes well, I of mean, that there's, now? There's a lot of the little vignettes that are uh, just, uh, you know, a 30-second or one-minute, almost just a soundbite from someone with a, a little bit of B-roll. We have a number okay, of those. Gotcha. I think we have four or five episodes that are the, you know, where we just really went in depth into a topic where it's, you know, eight or 10, 12 minutes long. Uh, we have four or five episodes, and then we call the others, you know, uh, vignettes or uh can't remember what we were calling those, but basically two different, two different uh, types of approach there that we're, that we're taking. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. Get that slice of life. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty amazing. I, lo- I love the one, one of the early ones with the uh, gentleman that's that's always dancing at man. street yeah. festivals dancing, and I, I know. Yeah, we showed that. Uh, you spoke in one of my classes a, a couple of years ago, I think. And yeah, that one was a was a hit. That's my so favorite. Yeah, so to far. Watch that. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. He was, you yeah. know, in original. That's what I call call people like that. That just, just you know, yeah. it's, there's no one like them. So it's uh, and yeah, very cool. Yeah, yeah. I thought Urban Camper. I mean, well, well done as far as use a lot of different filming techniques, a lot of toys. It looked like you know, I looked on your Facebook page. You had a what five or six yeah. person crew on that. Mm-hmm. Um, it looked like yeah, from the documentary. Um, yeah, very cool, man. What what was your 
Yeah. Well, what's your what's your process? So you for someone listening that wants to create and tell these stories, what's the process is after you've found the subject, you pre-interview kind of take us through sure. your particular um, you know, just yeah, well, it may vary based on how uh, how complex the project is. For one of my feature documentaries, it may be a little bit different process than one of these documentary shorts, where they're a little more informal. But the the, the basic process is, you know, researching and identifying the topic. Once once the topic or subjects, you know, in hand, uh, reaching out to as many potential strategic partners, anybody and everybody who's affiliated with that particular topic. Um, or, or working in, in that particular area, that cause. Uh, so with, with It's a Girl, who are the organizations that are working in India and China to end these practices of killing girls? And, um, you know, with the homeless thing, who are the agencies locally that are working, uh, you know, to end homelessness? Can I get experts to commit to speak uh, on, you know, on behalf of the issues? that usually creates buy-in with these organizations where since they're represented and they're investing in the, in the project, they're much more likely to get behind it, to introduce you to potential donors, to um, help distribute it once it's complete. Um, so that research and development phase of really building a foundation of support, potential uh, you know, partner strategic, strategic partners, what are the stories that you're going to tell, what's, what's, what's the actual um, – you know, foundational, uh, the, the, the story elements of the talking points that you want to, that I, you know, I know I want to, for instance, with gender side, I want to introduce people to the foundational causes or forces behind why people choose to kill girls and keep sons. So I got to get into the dowry system in India. I got to get into the one child policy, the foundational son preference culture that's been there for centuries how, you know, sons carry on the family name and inherit wealth and uh, girls, you know, become a part of their husband's family once they're married. All of these things become core foundational story elements that I research and flesh out and, and identify and then who's speaking to those. Uh, and then in filming, basically making sure that we're, we're getting tons and tons of content that cover those, those focal, focal points. And uh, and then B-roll, how am I illustrating those uh, points? What am I showing when I'm hearing the statistics or hearing these expert interviews? How am I uh, visually can illustrate those? And laying all of that out, you know, as much as possible before you start filming, obviously a lot of times the journey takes you in a completely different direction and you end up, you know, changing that plan. You will change that plan is guaranteed along the way. But you do as much research and development as you can. And then you set out to film, you take the ride wherever it takes you, and then you, at some point in time, you have to finally say, okay, even though I could keep going with this forever, I'm going to have to just say I've got enough right now. <laughs> you know. And that's when you start in the post-production process of, you know, I usually put together a rough cut of every individual story, every individual expert, um, and have almost, you know, potentially dozens of separate short little individual documentaries that, and, and I try to put them together in a way where they could stand alone as closely as possible, as best as they can. They're a, a little mini story of their own. 
then I create a rough cut where. So, so initially, it's it's like a little vignette of that particular yeah. subject that you're interviewing, and so yeah, you, instance, you cut their story. Instance, okay, maybe you the documentary that up. consists okay. of three or four uh, uh, characters, you know, who, who who you get into depth with, and you go spend a lot of time with them. You, I would I would create a separate documentary, mini documentary, basically of each of those separate character stories with with their uh, secondary uh, interviews, you know, maybe an expert that is speaking directly to their particular challenge or someone that knows them that's also talking about their story. Whoever, wh- whoever, whatever I film related to that specific character or that specific facet of the issue, I'll put together a little standalone piece, try to hone it to where it, it you know, it's, it's its own little mini story with a beginning, middle, and end that makes sense, that uh, connects people with, you know, whatever it is that's trying to be communicated there. Then I take and rough all those separate mini stories together into a rough cut, which, you know, rough cut of the feature film or the long, longer piece, and that may entail, um, you know, a three-hour cut, you know, uh, but you'll find that you're rearranging. You might have one particular story leading off to try to just capture people's, you know, that hook uh, at the beginning. And you may think, you know, well, this particular one's not working, so I'm going to put it farther back and move something else forward. I'm ending it here, but really that's not working. Uh, so you can rearrange then all those building blocks until you feel that the flow of the, of the piece is accomplishing what you'd set out to accomplish and then it's just fine tuning and fine tuning and fine tuning, honing down, whacking, you know, cutting room floor, and uh, and then obviously you know color correction, uh, music, um, all of the all of the finishing that, that goes in before uh, you release. Yeah, yeah, and I relate person on a on a personal note. The edit of a documentary film to like sculpting. So you have you put all this material there you shape it up and then you just start chipping away until yes, it comes that's to a real good analogy. Form. so yeah i find that's kind of nice because then you have that and it's like okay what can we tighten what can we drop and then it, it's always hard when you talk about the cutting room floor how you have that one little piece of a story yeah that you're just like oh i love this little nugget it just yeah it has such personality yeah. and it doesn't always yeah. fit into the final piece or the flow and it's just like oh but, you know, that's that's a good thing with extra features yeah, and things like that. Yeah, you can kind of break those out into SQ7DVD or to share through social media. Um, and that's why I always bring in um, people who aren't as buried in the the project as I am and kind of, kind of see, because I edit all my own films as well. You know, that's dangerous. That can be dangerous ground if you, you know, I write it, direct it, yeah. shoot it with, no you doubt. know, half of a cinematographer and edit it by the time I'm editing I'm really, I have my pet scenes and my pet stories that uh, are like my little babies. Mm-hmm. So I always try to work with a story con- consultant, uh, someone that I trust to be really objective and uh, can watch a rough cut and can honestly tell me, even though a particular scene may be beautifully shot or may have some really compelling, powerful content, this just distracts from the main point. And there's someone, I found that there are certain people that are just really good at, uh, at assimilating your main focus and, and rating from one to 10. I mean, going through every statement. And this is something I do as well, be, even before I send it out, 
you know, every interview segment, every uh, B-roll shot, everything, how does this either contribute to or take away from the main focus that you're trying to communicate and rating those, you know, one to 10, this is, this is a one, this is right on, right on point. This may be a five, four or five. It's, it's good. Uh, you know, maybe, uh, slightly less focused, but contributes a lot. And then you get into the eight and 10. Well, this, uh, uh, this particular uh, piece, you know, doesn't, uh, doesn't address the core topic and may even distract and take, um, you know, take it off on a rabbit trail, and then uh, and then getting 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 advice from others to watch the cut and and help you, you know, give you advice on what you what they think you should keep or cut out based on the same criteria. Yeah, it's it's so hard to to maintain objectivity when you, especially with many hats that you're wearing and as much time as you've spent with a project. So yeah, that's that's a great tip. Well, looking at like some of the smaller projects, and I think it's a little easier when you're dealing with one subject, just like uh, the Urban Camper Project. Um, and what was your subject's name in that? Uh, Terry. Terry. So when you have the one subject that you're focusing on, you're going to have a lot of material with that. But I find it easier to, um, you know, easier to sculpt that together, bring it down, and tell a concise story when you're dealing with that versus like a broad topic such as. It's a girl. I mean, that's just a, a global yeah. topic. It's something that's happening in multiple countries. There's a lot of experts. Uh, so looking at a, a vignette-type piece and, and then with the B-roll you can put in there, what, I mean, do you look at that any different when you're doing a smaller piece versus a feature? Or how, how do those two kind of, uh, you know, sure. what what's the difference between the, the size of the project? Right. I just see, I see a feature as a, uh, uh, you know, combination of several shorter vignettes. Typically, you know, that's, that's what it ends up being. And that's why I, that's why I edit each of the separate little sub stories and subplots and experts and locations as separate shorts, because ultimately, you know, a feature is, can be just a bunch of shorts woven together. I think some features, you know, may be more focused on, on one specific person or one location, and then that may not apply as much. So, um, with with my Just Be You project shorts, uh, what's been fun about those is they really don't have to be focused on making a point, or uh, they they can really be loose. That's kind of why why they've been fun. And you'll notice when you watch the Just Be You segments, they are very loose and, and meandering, and I basically just spend a day or whatever with a person and just ask them lots of questions, whatever comes to mind that's interesting. Let, let the story just take its own path, shoot B-roll to go with what I'm learning and then rough that together in just a really loose, uh, almost a linear, you know, chronological form. And, and, and I've got it, you know, and it's, it's interesting how little time I'm spending on those just be segments. Um, and how fun they're coming out. But when you've got a client who needs you to, uh, for instance, I have a client that's one of the largest homelessness uh, advocacy groups in Southern Arizona who hires me to go out and tell similar stories to Terry's, but with a focus on their program 
and how they address the specific need of that homeless person and what the barriers are and how people can get involved and help, then you really have to be thinking more focused about a structural approach, you know, beginning, middle, end, where we establish the need initially through the story uh, uh, and, and introduce people emotionally to the need through a human struggle. Then we introduce the solutions. Here's an organization that's that's meeting that need, who's investing resources, who's providing programs, who's whatever they're doing. And, and then, you know, here's how they need help and you can come alongside them and get involved. Um, those types of pieces have to be a little more focused and more structured. So a lot of it depends on your goals for the piece you know, as, to, as to how you approach all that. And you typically spend, because it looks uh, like you spent about a day of shooting on on the uh, piece, the once again go back to the urban camper. So, urban camper, yeah. So interview, and then we you went had... out twice. Yeah, we went out twice for four hours, so two Sundays in a row. Okay, we went out cool. About four hours each day with her, and the first the first day we got most of what we used. The second time we met the the uh, advocate, the the woman that's you know kind of the Michelle that's doing the advocacy work, who could speak more from the standpoint of an expert. Uh, who knew Terry and was familiar with her case. We shot her interview and just a little bit more B-roll and interesting stuff. Um, uh, so that was, yeah, eight hours, basically a day of shooting, but we went uh, to two different times. Nice, nice. And, and talking about toys, what uh, what equipment did you use on that particular piece? Yeah, since we were, since I was working with the documentary film work group, basically anybody with a camera, bring it on out. <laughs> nice. So we had, uh, we had two Sony FS100s, uh, which is basically a, a, a 35 millimeter CMOS style camera with, you know, detachable lenses, uh, kind of a DSLR style approach, but more of a hybrid where those of us who grew up on, you know, digital beta cam and camcorders with all the buttons and controls accessible on the outside of the camera and who hate having to go into a menu just to change <laughs> white balancer, you know, yeah, whatever. Of course. Uh, so it's a DSLR style cinematic uh, approach in more of a camcorder style casing. Uh, the Sony FS100, we had two of those, and then a couple of folks brought out. I think we had a Canon 7D and another Nikon DSLR style camera, um, and everyone was just kind of shooting what looked good to them. That's why you you notice a variety of different you know kind of uh, shooting styles or approaches. We combined footage from a number of different people and a number of different cameras together, which has its own set of challenges. Um, and, you know, a wireless lav a microphone, a boom mic in case we need it. We, uh, you know, have reflectors and bounce boards in case we needed them. Uh, in this case, we were shooting in under this tree, so we didn't really need much of those. And then a friend came out um, with this documentary film work group. We, I bring a friend of mine out that's a drone pilot uh, who does a little workshop on aerial photography with all the members of the group that attend and demonstrates it uh, and actually, you know, flies over and gets us some beautiful aerial footage of whatever the subject is. Um, and, and so he, he came out with his, uh, I don't remember the model of his drone now. Yeah, there's um, so many of them right now. I mean, that's just been... There are. Oh, it's coming out. It's like crazy. Yeah, my term for drones, I, I just don't like that term drone, so I, I call them aerial camera platforms. <laughs> I yeah. think I think yeah, drone is just... Drone is, yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. death. I think of death and destruction with drones, but uh, it just that's does, true, doesn't yeah. have heart. <laughs> 
but uh, yeah, your location was amazing. The 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 area she lived in the. Uh, the wooded area. I mean, really, really rich. Your B-roll, B-roll looked great. Uh, I, I shoot with an FS100 as well, and I just, I love the the visuals of that camera. I can correct it really well. It's just, I'm, I still love that camera. It's a little older, but it, it gets the job done. Yeah. yeah, that's what I've been facing, is that's what I, that's what I own, and it's still performing well for me, and it's paid off, and I'm making money with it. That's <laughs> a but good yet, thing. I, I, I'm, I'm having more and more clients coming to me and saying, I want 4K, even though they don't even know what 4K exactly. is or why they want 4K. They don't realize that their delivery of their final product is not going to be in 4K, most likely. And even if it is, most people won't watch it in 4K, but they want 4K. So I'm I'm probably going to need to upgrade uh, soon. I'm looking at the Sony FS7, probably as my next camera. Yeah, a buddy of mine um, who, I, who I work a lot with, he just, uh, he picked up an FS7, he still has his FS100, and then he rigged it out for 4K. Um, we haven't shot, I haven't worked with him since, but uh, yeah, that's essentially what he has done as well, because he still gets the same look, um, but yeah, it was just getting that extra resolution. Yeah, and as I'm, as I'm working with clients uh, who uh, hire me to crew, you know, to DP, on movies and working with, you know, black magic purses and uh, uh, different uh, types of cameras. Uh, I'm liking the FS7 more and more as I, as I work with other uh, cinema cameras. Um, I mean, black magic or so you have to, you have to go into uh, a menu to change the white balance and you can't actually see your shot on the LCD screen while you're changing your white balance because you're looking at the white balance menu. I mean, Ooh. it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> you know, yeah. most of the black magic cameras I've worked with, I've had, you know, things I didn't like about mm-hmm. them. But uh, the more I work with other cameras, the more I like the FS7. Um, and uh, and the more I like S-Log, shooting in S-Log, which is, you know, a transition in the way you think. I'm, I'm, I'm the old dog who sets up a picture profile and dials it in and meticulously until it's just the look I want, and then I do a little bit of color grading in post just to tweak it. And uh, to to shoot an S-log and have to, you know, drop a LUT on it and uh, and create an entire look in post is a completely different workflow, and it was a bit of a transition to me, but I, I, I'm, li- I'm liking it more and more as I, as I work in it. You have to spend more time. I, I do a lot in, in post, my color correction, and uh, you have to play more with the LUTs and S-logs and all that. Um, yep. As far as, I mean, you have an amazing moving camera as far as slider moves it looks like you use. What are you using as far as your slider these days? Yeah, I've got a, a Kessler Pocket Dolly, the three-foot uh, mini, you know, the, the basic. And I used to have the uh, the larger one, and I would travel overseas with it and stuff, but with, a, with the, uh, the pulley system and the motor and all, you know, and I found that I... I never used that. Uh, the pulley system, when I was in cold weather, would 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 develop a memory around the pulley on each end, the belt, and then uh, once you started sliding, there would be this one point where it hung up, where it was still kind of hooked in the shape around the pulley, oh. where it had sat in the ends, you know. And uh, I had issues like that, so I just I went away from the pulley system, and then I I started realizing that when I'm using a slide shot in post. I, I never used more than three to five seconds of it and and thus never used more than maybe three foot of the actual mm-hmm. track 
uh, in, in any given. So I, I got rid of the long one and got this three foot basic model that fits in my suitcase real well. And I have a very lightweight Gitzo tripod that um, is very portable and uh, love it. Yeah, I, I, it's permanently on my tripod. I, I nice. leave that slider on there and it helps when you're doing interviews. You know how sometimes you'll set up an interview and you'll have it perfectly. You'll have the subject perfectly positioned, uh, you know, with the background, and then they'll shift in their seat <laughs> over to the other side of the chair, and they'll have this yeah. plant coming out of their head. Yep, yep. Uh, the slider gives you the ability to very subtly shift that camera perspective over to where you position them where you want them again without having to drag the tripod one way or the other uh, in the middle of a interview. That's so very, it's, it's a very practical, very, very handy tool. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, and it's the looks you get. I mean, it's so nice to be able to have that movement and it just really in the, the urban camper piece, it's just such good B roll, great movement, even with just basic tripod moves, some tilts and pans that you had. I loved speaking of pans. That was one shot that you have to show her, her whole living setup and you had had mm-hmm. these you know she had her pots and pans hanging on a rope and it's mm-hmm. just such a good shot to illustrate you know how she's living and and what she's doing in that setup and it just it really told the story well so i really really dug that it's a great choice cool um looking yeah, at she provided a very uh, she provided a really nice organic uh, rich environment a lot of that's one of the biggest challenges oftentimes is a lack of good b-roll and, and, and in this case, there was an abundance of beautiful, visual, grungy, organic, you know, shot texture, you know, to capture. But sometimes you're in a situation where you interview someone and there's no way to show what they talked about. You know, that's frustrating. Yeah, no doubt. But yeah, you you guys covered it really well. What what do you you know when talking to young filmmakers or is there are there any books you recommend or any videos to watch or something that they can look at to kind of learn the basics? You know, um, that's a good question. I did, uh, I did read through a couple of books that were nominally helpful, and I don't recall now the, the, um, I don't recall the, the name of those books. I don't own them anymore, so I'm not going to be able much help there. Well, what about I films? Think, uh, what about fi- what film would you tell a young filmmaker to take a look at? That I, I can't say there's a specific film either because every every filmmaker takes a different approach. You can learn something different. I would just say watch lots of watch lots of documentaries and as you're watching them, ask yourself the questions. You know, how did they get that particular camera movement? Why did they choose to position the camera there? Uh, how did they like this particular scene? I'm noticing something in the background that should have caused audio issues. How did they get around that? Um, why did they choose to cut it in that particular way? You know, just watch lots of films and with every single, you know, scene, stop it, you know, if you need to, wind it back and, well, you know, watch the whole film for the story, you know, immerse yeah, yourself in the story and ignore, ignore all the technical stuff initially just so you can get the experience uh, and then go back and analyze it and run it back and look at how, how they, you know, uh, did things. You can you can also also often find how to the behind the scenes uh, videos on on some films how they actually did composite. Watch those. I, I I watched a lot of tutorials. I mean, if I just am curious about something new I've seen someone doing, I'll just punch it into Google, and it's surprising the articles and the mm-hmm. video tutorials you'll find of people breaking it down for you. Uh, it, there's such an abundance of, of resources out there for us nowadays. Totally, yeah. I, I, you know, when I started out, and the same with you, of course, shooting on 
you know, primarily it was uh, when I was in college, it was VHS, super VHS, and then many DV came yeah. out, and now we have eight millimeter. Yeah, yeah. You know, I shot sixteen millimeter. Now we're looking at at these cameras that they're using for for big movies. You know, they're using yeah. a lot of the big studios are using the same camera that we now have access to, and just the wealth of knowledge yeah. that people are putting out there. It's like wow, the time I was kind of right in the middle. You know, right right when now yeah. there's all this technology that's accessible and which is great i'm still yeah. around but it's, like, it's a great oh. time yeah. technology wise it is a great time to be alive um the biggest thing i tell young filmmakers when i'm talking to classes at the university or whatever you know is just get out there pick a story that's close to home that's access- accessible to you it's we tend to want to go get the exotic story that's out there somewhere where we don't you know go travel and, and inaccessible just because it seems more appealing don't do that Pick a story that's right, you know, in your home. It's maybe it's your grandparent or it's it's a, a business nearby or a nonprofit that you're you're someone you know is involved with, and and pick an accessible story and then offer to make just offer to produce a segment for them for free. Uh, you'll get access, you'll get the opportunity to practice, and you'll gain portfolio material. That's how I got started. I just started working with uh, local nonprofits. Uh, offering to make videos for them for their fundraising events and whatnot for free initially, and then other nonprofits saw my work, started offering to hire me for it, and that you know I, I invited to go to Mexico to do some work there, and then invited to go to Africa. And before you know it, I'm traveling internationally and working with nonprofits all over the world, and and it's it's just because I picked stories that were close, were accessible, that um, I knew people that were working in those particular nonprofits, so there was there was a, a reason to be involved in that story. Someone I cared about, it was important to them, and I wanted to help them. And I just practiced by creating little segments and just dive in and do it, you know? That's the best way to learn. Yeah, most uh, that's that's how I cut my teeth. A lot of stories, a lot of music videos, music-related projects. Right. It's things for people I knew that I was passionate about what they were doing, and then I had this tool, and so, yeah, that's how I gained a lot of my experience. It was a lot of fun and, you know, a lot of good memories. Uh, want to end on, on a deeper note. What's the importance? I mean, of course, these stories you're telling, you consider art as, as do I. How important is art in our society and to put out these kind of stories? What does that, what does that reflect upon? How is that, how does that make right. us better? Yeah. Well, I would say art is that is that that uh, almost undefinable component that 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 creates a distinction between information and a story. I mean, you can present statistics, you can break down data, you can you know I could have made it's a girl as a film solely about the statistical demographic data of the one child policy and its impact on blah blah blah. But what, what distincts, what, what the distinction between that and art, I believe, is when you take all of that information and that data and the statistics and, and you know, a, an issue, a topic, a cause, and you put it in a container of something beautiful and visual and emotional and personal, you, you bring in the human element and allow the viewer to uh, intersect with a person's life and their choices and their failures. You do so in a way that's visually unique and compelling uh, and, and has, you know, 
the, the sound and the texture and then uh, then it becomes art and um, that's in after 30 years now of, of doing this the biggest uh, the biggest epiphany over my last maybe 10 years is I'm not going to do I'm not going to do even the corporate work that pays well I'm, I'm not going to do it anymore unless I can do it in a way that's art to me that that moves my soul that that it's just not worth it the money's not worth yeah. it and life is too short so I turn down projects that don't give me the opportunity to cover even if it's uh, a corporate style topic you know to be able to cover it in a way that's you know uh, that's art I just I'd rather not. And I think it's more effective for you to utilize your skills as a visual storyteller to to tell that because I think it connects with their audience a lot better than if it is just the you know the droning facts, you know, yeah, 132 yeah. people blah blah blah, you know, people don't connect to that. But as you combine those facts and you stimulate their emotions, then they're more than willing to to look up those facts or get involved and participate and think like oh we this much of our rainwater is not we're not utilizing let's utilize this now and then we'll you know we'll be sustainable so yeah you you hit that right on the head i i think put a little piece of your soul on a project i mean i think it goes a long way it sure does yep and it uh immobilizes a lot more people much more effectively uh to to get involved, which, you know, is my passion, the, the, the telling stories that mobilize people to take action in, in, in matters that, that, you know, are important. Well, it's amazing work you're doing, and I'm really honored to have, you know, spent this hour with you talking about talking about your craft and documentaries and the, something we both love. Yeah, I appreciate the time. It's been a blast talking with you. Always, Evan. I thank you so much for all the all the advice you've given me over the years really appreciate it and audience check out evan's work uh you won't you won't be disappointed it's just beautiful and and it'll compel you to go do something in your community it was the fourth of july we seen our juice to the sky you and me against the world we're